This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Today I'd like to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. And if you find it, would you please stand? Verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollo for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again before your throne of grace, Lord. Looking to you and, Lord, giving you thanks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your love for us and your determination, Lord, despite our unworthiness to make yourself known to us. Lord, we thank you for all the gifts that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, for the greatest gift, sacrifice of your Son in our behalf, the exchange, our filthiness, our sinfulness for the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we pray that we're humbled by these things, by these truths, and Lord, that our hearts as a result would overflow with thanksgiving toward You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we're still in the middle of a kind of a debate here. Uh, uh, much correction going on. Paul is uh, uh, correcting the Corinthians for um, their misunderstanding of various things, for for the uh, divisions among them, which are going to include um, their their separation from Him. That is, their un- their unwillingness to submit to Him and His authority as as a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned before several times that this is one of the, the key uh, things that's going on here, and we're, we're, we're just now getting to the place where Paul is really dealing with, with it um, directly. So we've, we've seen, for example, him address their divisions among each other. And we've seen hints of, the, of uh, this particular uh, division between the church at Corinth and 
Paul himself. And so he's addressing this and, and um, defending, you might say, his own, his own apostleship as a, as a servant of Christ. Um, and in doing that, setting straight some attitudes um, that, are, that are wrong-headed. If you want to see, and of course there's <clears throat> lots of examples we could use here, but people being esteemed or maybe even, maybe even on some level worshipped for their gifting, watch the Olympics. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not downing them. I like, I like to watch the Olympics. Um, I, in fact, I think it is... Uh, um, in, in, in one sense, and if it's, if it's viewed correctly, uh, I think God's glory is displayed in the achievements. Um, you know, I really do. God gives those abilities. And so when somebody runs faster, jumps further, um, or swims faster, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, hits a badminton um, birdie better, or something like that, when people do those kinds of things, it, it, is, it is a reflection of God in, in one sense. He, he, he gives those abilities. It's part of being made in His image. But what we tend to do in our sinfulness is give people credit more so than they're due. I mean, there's a right place for honoring those to whom, do, to whom honor is due. But, but we tend to set them up on a pedestal, so to speak, and, and uh, as I said, um, really uh, worship them. Now, it's not just Olympians. It's, you could, like I say, you could take this across the board. You can apply it to uh, the NFL or the, the uh, you know, um, professional baseball. You could apply it to music, professional music, acting, uh, movie stars, um, on down the list. You know, maybe if you're really into academics, you know, you've got certain, uh, certain scholars that you idolize. The point is, we, we take... We view what is a gift of God um, in, in wrong ways. We either devalue it, you know, look at the wrong things, maybe because of the person that possesses it. We, we, we don't appreciate it. Some of that's going on here. They, they, they don't appreciate God's gifting in Paul because uh, he doesn't measure up to their standards. They don't like Paul. On the other hand, the gifting, as we've just been talking about, that God gives to some individuals, we, we put way too much emphasis on. And instead of viewing it as God's gifting and as a means of God glorifying Himself, we, we see it as solely human achievement and, uh, and tend to put them on a pedestal. Well, I'll try to explain that as we go, but some of that's what, it, what is happening here. And primarily what Paul is dealing with is, is there lack of appreciation for Him. That may be a funny way to put it, but they have turned away from Him as an apostle of Christ. Or they are on the verge of doing that, one or the other. They don't see Him as, as strong, powerful. They don't see Him as gifted in the ways that they um, think that He should be. They have turned their attention, as we've seen, to worldly wisdom. So when, when Paul brings to them the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not satisfying to them. They, they want to hear um, the wisdom of the world, and they want to hear it brought to them 
in a particular way. And that's where the giftedness comes in. You know, they're, they're appreciating uh, eloquence of speech, rhetorical skill, these things that apparently uh, Paul either lacked or at least, uh, at least didn't possess in a way that they, that they appreciated, which is probably more the case. I mean, Paul, Paul seems to me to be a, a pretty skillful rhetorician when I read the epistles. But um, apparently his appearance and his presentation and so forth was not what, um, what, was not what the Corinthians liked. So they, they were really developing a worldly mindset in their view of the church and of the ministry, servants of the church. So Paul's gone through quite a bit of explanation here trying to set that mindset straight. How the, how the uh, church is to be thought of, that is the nature of the church. How the ministry is to be thought of, the nature of the ministry. And he's given us some metaphors. So, for example, um, just at the very end, uh, let's see. You go back to chapter 3 at the very end of verse 9, at, at verse 9, end of that paragraph. For we are God's fellow workers. That's, that's uh, a, a metaphor for himself and Apollos and the others. You know, we're, we're just servants of God. We're God's fellow. We're fellow workers in God's field. You are God's field. So there he gives a metaphor for the church as a, uh, the metaphor of a form. F-A-R-M, you're a form, you're a field, but you're God's field. You belong to God, and we're just fellow workers working the field. And another metaphor, you are God's building in that same verse. And then he expounds on that uh, in the verses that follow that. So he's described the church as a field, as a building. He's described the leadership himself and Apollos, Peter, and others as workers in the field. Or as builders, he calls himself a wise master uh, builder because he laid a good, sound foundation, which was Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Um, And now he's switching to another metaphor in chapter 4, but he still has all this in view. He wants to set them right in their thinking about himself, particularly, and the ministry in general. So, keep this in mind as we're reading through this. Um, Paul is writing about this specific circumstance, the Corinthians' rejection of himself and of his own ministry. But what I'm going to suggest here, I think uh, correctly so, is that there are implications here um, for, for all of the ministry. In other words, all of the servants of God, or you could say it this way, all of the, the leadership in the church. There, there are things that Paul deals with here and, and uh Further on, as we go through the book, that that I think have have uh, implications for the church in general, all of the church and all of the church leadership. So, uh, let me just go through a little bit of explanation of some of the terminology, and then um, and then we'll we'll kind of try to sum it up. Um, verse one again. This is how one should regard us. And I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version, so it's going to differ a little bit from what David read earlier, uh, but, but essentially the, the same. This is how one should regard us. That is how one should think of us. Now, he's already said um, in, in the previous 
argument in the previous chapter that we are servants. That is, myself and Apollos, Peter, we're servants. You may remember, he used the term deacon there, which, which just means servants are literally like table waiters. And that's the way Paul is describing uh, in, that, in that place. That's the way he's describing their ministry. We, we just serve. We're not, we're not um, people that should be esteemed as, as though the field or the building was ours. We're just workers. We're just servants. The building, that is the church, or the field, which is the church, belongs to God. So, again, he's reiterating here, this is how one should regard us as servants. But interestingly, he uses a different term there. That term, servants, is not the word deacon, uh, nor is it the, the word for slave, doulos. This, this term um, literally means under rower. So you'd have the, the, those who rowed, you know, powered the ship because they didn't have Evinrude back in those days. So you had those in the bottom level of the ship, um, just above the water, who rowed and were subservient to those above them. So that's the word literally, but it's, but it's used, um, it's widely used and widely used throughout the New Testament, usually describing like a clerk or an officer. Um, so, for example... In, in Luke 4, when Jesus is ministering in the synagogue in his own hometown, Luke 4.20, he, he read from a passage of Isaiah, and it says, He closed the book and he gave it to the minister and sat down. That word for minister in Luke 4.20 is the same word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 4.1. This is how one should regard us as servants or ministers or are, are officers of Christ. And we're going we're gonna, to... He's going to expand on that a little bit more. Um, so, it'll, it'll kind of help bring it to light. Regard us or think of us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, so he's given us two metaphors here again. We're servants... And we're stewards. And the word steward there is the, is the term for a, a household steward or a, a manager uh, of one's goods. So this, is, this kind of helps us understand what Paul is talking about. It's, it, it's, he's describing somebody who's been entrusted with something. It's, it's, it would be like if, if you suddenly came into a large sum of money and... Uh, if you were like me anyway, you would say something like, uh, I don't have sense enough to handle this. <laughs> so, so I'm going to hire a manager to handle my finances. And so that person would be entrusted with your money, your capital, uh, and, and you would hope they would be a good and faithful steward, right? You're setting them over your property. Or... As in Paul's day, this because this was very common in their culture, they would have household um, servants, managers who handled certain things for them. Now, I was just reading this morning um, from First Kings where Solomon had twelve officers or servants. It's, it's the same idea. It's not. Uh, uh, it's a, a different word even in the, the Greek Old Testament, but it's, but it's the same idea. Um, he, he had 12 men set over his household 
to provide. And each one of them took a month. So, so each man had one month that was his to make sure that all of Solomon's household was fed and cared for. And that was probably a, a well, it goes on to describe how much it took in terms of food. And, and it was, that was a large task. It wasn't just like fixing dinner for five or six, you know. It was, it was a very large task, so you kind of understand why they only did it for a month. They would stress out probably if they had to do it all the time. So he had 12 guys set to do that, appointed to do that. Well, that's kind of the idea here. That's behind this term steward, like a household manager, somebody entrusted with something, the manager of a household. So Paul says, this is the way you're to think of us as servants, like clerks or officers, like the like the minister in the synagogue that Jesus handed the scroll to, or as household managers. That is, we, we've been entrusted with something by God. We've, we've been commissioned, entrusted to, to feed, to care for God's household. And that, by the way, is the, the primary function of a pastor, to serve the Word, to serve the Word. That's the primary function. If you get that wrong, um, then everything else is going to be messed up. I mean, you might be great at hospital visitation, and you might be great at, you know, just all the fellowship things and hanging out with the guys and whatever. Um, but, but if you don't faithfully serve the Word, then everything else is going to be out of whack. I mean, it might feel good and all that. It might draw people, but it's, it's not going to have the same value. All right? So, Paul says, here's how you're to think of us. As, as servants of Christ, and notice the of Christ again, he's been driving that home all along too. He's making the point. The church belongs to God. The church belongs to Christ. You're God's field. You're God's building. And, and the, 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 the possessive uh, form of the nouns there is, is emphatic. It's God's building. God's field. And he's doing that for a reason. And he's saying that same thing about himself and Apollos and the other leaders. We're God's servants. We're servants of Christ. And stewards, again, household managers, entrusted with something. What are they entrusted with? Again, verse 1. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, that's a fascinating statement. And I'm not going to... Spend a lot of time on that phrase, but just say this: it, it has, um, it, it's been the heart of uh, you know no small, <laughs> I guess, speculation and, and you know endless commentaries and so forth. What does Paul mean by mysteries? You know, a lot of people want to tie it into the the mystery religions which were uh, popular in that day. I, I I think really all he's talking about here, not that it's a small thing. But what he's talking about here is God's Word, God's, God's plan of salvation, which is now made, was a mystery, hidden, but it is now made manifest. So in other words, again, he's referring to the gospel, just like he's been doing all along. Uh, he, he calls it the message of the cross back in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he calls it Christ and Him crucified. Okay? So I think that's the same thing he's referring to here when he uses that phrase, the mysteries of God, because it was a mystery from creation up to this point. 
But now Christ has come. This point being Paul's day. Now Christ has come. And it's been manifest, that is openly made known or, or unveiled. The mystery has been unveiled in the person of Jesus Christ. So I think he's referring to the gospel. And he's saying God has made us stewards of the gospel. Stewards of the mysteries of God. God's plan of salvation. How God would show Himself, just to use the language of the previous chapters, how God would show Himself wise and show the wisdom of the world to be foolishness. How did He do that? Through the cross. Through, through His only Son coming into the world, living and dying, laying down His life for sinners, and being raised again from the dead. The message of the cross. The gospel. In, in the cross, in the message of the cross, God has shown the wisdom of the world to be what it, what it really is, foolishness, and He has shown Himself to be wise. These mysteries, the gospel, the good news, Christ crucified, the word of the cross, I think Paul is saying, is what God has entrusted us with. So you can just kind of sum it up this way. Paul says, as, as servants of God, as household managers, God has entrusted us with His Word, the Gospel. And this is the case that Paul has been making all along. I've been giving you the Word of God. The, the problem is, you are now looking for worldly wisdom. So he says, verse 2, uh, moreover, it is required of stewards, household managers, that they be found trustworthy. Now, again, I think this is a major point. As, as Paul is trying to set their thinking right about the church, the nature of the church, about the gospel, the nature of the gospel, about the ministry, if you want to give it that terminology. In other words, the leadership in the church. Um, Paul is setting their thinking right. And this is a major point. It is required that stewards, again, he's using his metaphor. If if you hired a household manager, what's the main thing you're looking for? Faithfulness, right? I mean, you may have a guy that's, that's just an accountant out of this world, or if he's, you know, if his responsibility is feeding your household, maybe he's the greatest chef that ever lived. In other words, his, his skill may be beyond compare. It may exceed everybody's. But if he's unfaithful, then you've got a problem. If he's not going to handle your finances correctly, if he's your financial manager, and he's not going to handle your finances faithfully, there's, you, you've got a serious problem. Paul's saying it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Now, if we, if we apply that to the situation, I think what Paul is saying is, look, you're, you're, you're putting undue emphasis on the wrong things. You want guys who can fill you up, tickle your ears with worldly wisdom, with skilled rhetoric, with eloquence of speech. And that's what you're looking for. And that's what you're following after. And Paul is saying, look, 
What should be the main issue is faithfulness. Are they faithful in the stewardship? In other words, are they faithfully, faithfully handling the truth of God? Or are they being unfaithful with it? And Paul's um, testimony of himself is that he's been faithful. It is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, he says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, he's going somewhere with this. This may, this may sound on the surface uh, a little arrogant, but let's, let's follow um, his argument here and see what, what he's doing. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. That's, an, that's quite a statement. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, he is quick to say. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, why is Paul doing this? Why, why is he even going here? Why is he making this case uh, about himself being a faithful steward? Because that's what he's implying. The, the, the requirement, the main thing is, is that a household manager, a servant, an officer, a clerk, somebody that is entrusted with something or entrusted with a job, a task, the main thing is that they be faithful. And then Paul is implying here by these words we just read that this is what I've done. I've been faithful. In fact, he says, my conscience is clean. It's clear. I, I don't know. I'm not aware of anything against myself. Why is he doing this? Because, again, they are rejecting him and his service to them. They're rejecting his ministry, rejecting his authority. It's a, it's a, this is just kind of a side note, by the way, but it's, it's an interesting thing to me, and, and it's, a, it's one of those things that you, you do with fear and trembling. Um, but it is impossible um, to preach what, what, we're, what we are, any teacher is commissioned to do. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, even if you're, even if you're handling the Sunday school class or something like that, you are to be faithful. <clears throat> and it is impossible to preach the whole counsel of God as we are instructed to do without saying some things that sound self-serving. That's, that just, that, that's a hard thing for me. When, 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 you, when I have to deal with those passages and I'm thinking... There's, there's no way to, to get the truth of this across without sounding self-serving. But you have to do it in order to be a faithful steward. See, Paul has to go here because it is just the truth that God has set him as an apostle over the church of Corinth. In other words, he does have pastoral authority at Corinth. And, and here they are straying, so, so he has to, it is his responsibility to rein them in, so to speak. And one way that he does this is by asserting, I would argue humbly, although, you know, like I say, on the surface, some of it may not sound humble, but this is one reason he's emphasizing this point that he belongs to Christ. In other words, his authority 
comes from, it, it is delegated, it comes from Christ. It is, it is based in the authority of God, in the Word of God. He has no inherent authority. And it's just like any pastor, teacher, our authority is delegated. And what I say, just to, just to personalize it, what I say is authoritative as long as I'm faithfully communicating the Word of God. Now, the, 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 the second I move away from God's truth, because I have no inherent authority, the second I move away from God's truth, then poof, you know, <laughs> the authority's gone. And that's why you, you actually have churches like the church at Ephesus judging apostles. Which is interesting, by the way, and that's in Revelation. It's interesting because this is what Paul is rebuking them for here, but we'll try to get to that in a moment. There is a place for that. So Paul has to go here, even though on the surface it's going to sound self-serving. This is always the case. When you, when you, when you get into things like that, you preach um, Hebrews 13 or, or even over in Corinthians 9 where Paul is talking about how the, uh, how the ministry is to be um, provided for. Hard for a pastor to do that with, <laughs> without, without sounding self-serving. Well, I know why he's preaching on that. He's wanting every, you know, he wants a raise or something. <clears throat> well, hopefully that's not why. It's just because it's in, in the Word of God. Alright, so that's kind of what Paul's doing here. So, we're just servants, Paul says, entrusted with the mysteries of God. And my conscience is clean. He says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. And by the way, I don't, I, he's not at all claiming to be sinless there. But I, in regard to his relationship with the church at Corinth, I, th- I think what he's saying is, I've, I've done nothing to bring about this rejection. All I have been to you is a faithful steward. My conscience is clean. Nevertheless, as I pointed out a moment ago, he's quick to add, while, while you should not judge me, he's quick to add, I, I can't... Even even my own conscience, the fact that I find my myself to be, you know, uh, without offense, that doesn't acquit me, he says. So, in other words, he's saying, you're not the judge, finally, and I'm not the judge, finally. So, you can condemn me, and I can come back and justify myself. And what he's saying is, in the end, that doesn't amount to a whole lot. Either side, because there's one judge. So he says, even though I'm not aware of anything against myself, um, I'm not thereby acquitted. I can't acquit myself. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, verse 5, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And he seems to be suggesting here that, that he is being accused of, of wrong motivations. And he's saying, you're, you're judging me and you're not my judge. God is my judge. And don't try to judge things before the time. There's coming a day when God will judge. God who knows the heart will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive 
His commendation or His praise from God. Now, um, Paul is innocent here. In other words, he, he has been a faithful steward. He has been faithfully declaring the Word of God. He's not um, uh, in, into some heresy, some other gospel. God has set him as apostle, teacher of this church, founder of this church. And so I think that's why he's saying all, all of these things. It is not that there is, it's not that judging is always out of place. Again, I would refer to uh, Jesus' letters in the book of Revelations where he commends them for judging those who say they are apostles and are not. What, what Paul is saying is, my, my credentials are good. You know, because Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't come with, with uh, persuasive words, eloquence of speech. I came in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Your lives were changed by the message that I brought, the Word of the cross. So my credentials are good. I've been a faithful steward. And in spite of that, not because of something heretical that I was doing, but in, in spite of the faithfulness, you're chasing after worldly wisdom. You're, you're over-esteeming um, gifts in certain individuals. You know, because of their eloquence, their skill or whatever, you've gone after them and rejected me. And so that's what I think Paul is, is rebuking them for here. It's not, not, not to say that the churches should never... Uh, judge the teachers. There is a place for that, of course. If if a pastor or pastors um, were were you know to move away from the Word of God, the church has the responsibility to do something about that, to remove them if necessary. What, what whatever um, means is required for the situation, the church has the responsibility to do that. But there are no good grounds here. This seems to be largely, as I mentioned before, this seems to be largely personality-driven or gift-driven. It's like watching you know, those with, with athletic ability and skill and then just praising them for it in an undue way. Instead of just, uh, instead of just honoring them with the, the medal that they've earned, you know, setting them up as an idol. That's kind of what's taking place here with these teachers. I'm, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And Paul is saying, um, that's a wrong approach. We're all servants. We're all household managers. So he's trying to give them the right attitude. And, and uh, to, to not over-esteem those that, you know, to, to, to which it's undue and, and for himself to not reject himself. Now, he says in verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. All of the metaphors, all of the teaching that he's just given, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Which is the standard, by the way. Listen to what he says here. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Puffed up. That's an 
interesting word and a phrase, and he uses it several times in this epistle. And it is just the idea of inflated, like we say, get the big head, right? Don't want you getting the big head over somebody's ability or gifting. You're looking at the wrong thing. The issue is faithfulness with what we've been entrusted with. And, and we're, we're all too prone, even those of us who, who uh, uh, we feel like we're in good, sound church, you know, theological circles, because we're still dealing with the sin nature within us and we're still prone to sin and, and frankly, prone to idolatry, we're all too quick to do that, aren't we? When we see somebody with great skill, hear somebody with great skill and eloquence, and we set them on a pedestal. It might be a preacher, it might be an athlete, it might be a business person or whatever. And we take the person who has received the gift and the gift itself and put them sometimes even in the place of God. In other words, that's where our focus is. That's where our, our, our worship is. It's what it's focused on. And Paul says, I don't want any of you to be puffed up in favor of one against another. Because the issue is not skill or eloquence, the gifting. And, and, and this is a, obviously a big problem in, in the Corinthian church, not just with preaching, but just gifting in general. When you get over into chapters 14, <clears throat> chapters 12, 13, and 14, that's what Paul's dealing with there, because even with the spiritual gifts, they are thinking that some of them who have certain gifts are better than others who have different gifts. He has to set them straight there as well. God distributes the gifts as He wills. For the particular needs of the body. And so it's, it's not so that we hold one person in esteem above another, or certainly not so that we would esteem ourselves above others. It is so that we, we function together for the good of one another as a body. So, so we should not, Paul says, be puffed up concerning these things. I, Leslie had made a statement in uh, um, Sunday school that fits all of this perfectly. Unfortunately, I don't recall it all, or I would, I, I, would, uh, I would quote her. I would recite it back to you. But basically, she was just saying that um, if we have the right attitude, we, we are free to rejoice in the gifting of others without being envious, without rivalry. Love sets us free to do that, doesn't it? And love would, would be a, a, an opposite in this case of being puffed up. And that's why you have chapter 13 in here, because he doesn't want them puffed up. He wants them to love one another. And he wants them, chapter 12, to understand that, the, that the, the body of Christ, the church, functions as a body. Different people have different functions, but one person is not more important than another person. There's different gifting, but the value of all is the same. And we are to esteem others higher than ourselves, right? So he says, I don't want you to be puffed up. 
I, I, I applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against Another. So, if this advice is taken, that does away with all the schisms that we've been talking about in previous, previous weeks. The divisions in the church. The division of the church against Paul, and then the divisions within the church. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. If, if his instruction is heeded here, then immediately all of those schisms are done away with. And that's what he's after. Verse 7, and this is a very humbling passage, and that's what Paul intends. For who sees anything different in you? Who, who makes a difference or, or discriminates or distinguishes? This, this word judge that we've seen in uh, these previous verses, um, for example, verse 3 that it's a small thing that I should be judged by you, by any, uh, by you or by any human court. Um, verse 4, the Lord judges me. Verse 5, I do not pronounce judgment. Uh, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Um, and then here in verse, uh, it's not so evident here in verse 7, but, it's, but this, this phrase is from the same word group. For who, who sees anything different in you? Or the old King James says something like, Who maketh you to differ? And that, and that, that phrase, maketh you to differ, or sees anything different, is there's one Greek word behind it. And it's from the same word group, krino, that, that all these other words are from. Judge. So that's the same idea. Discriminate. Discriminate, or, or to, to make a distinction. Why are you judging, Paul says? Why are you making a distinction? Who really makes the distinction? Why, why is there a difference? You know, you, you, you think, well, I've got the best and the greatest gifts, so I'm, I'm above Paul or, or whoever it is. Or I'm of this teacher because his gifting is much greater than Paul's or whoever it is. You, you set yourselves ones against, one against the other. Making distinctions, Paul says, wait a minute, who is it really that makes the differences, that distinguishes between one and another? And what do you have, he goes on to say, that you did not receive? I watched a guy run yesterday, he's the, the fastest man alive. Bolt. I like that name. <laughs> <clears throat> needs something added to it, but I like it. Both. Um, he's fast. And I know that took a lot of hard work. But it also took talent given by God. Takes takes both. And God gives the talent. I mean, I, I, I promise you, I promise you, I could get out there and work for the next ten years every bit as hard as he does, and I will never outrun him. <laughs> I, I promise you. It's the same way, same way with Michael Phelps. You know, I could get out there and do all of the same workout that he does day in and day out. I will never beat him. You know, unless you know, I, unless something really strange happens. Um, 
it's just not going to happen. I don't have. I could work just as hard, but I don't have the same gifting. I mean, if you've read anything on Michael Phelps, you know that even his body is is designed in such a way that it it just uh, in not I don't want to say makes it easy, but I mean it 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 is perfect practically for what he does. God has just given him the perfect body for what he does, uh, all the way down to his big feet. I mean, that's they say it helps. It helps in his swimming. So not everybody has the same gifting. And that's what Paul is saying. Why is that? Did you bring that about yourself? You know, you're, you're setting yourselves above one another. You're setting yourselves against one another based on something that you didn't even do when it comes down to the bottom line. It's something that was given to you, something that you received. Who makes you to differ? What do you have that you did not receive? These are rhetorical questions. That's why I said I think Paul was a pretty good rhetorician myself, but uh, apparently he wasn't eloquent enough for the Corinthians, even though what he was saying was truthful. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, this gifting, the, the, the Holy Spirit operating within you, or even Apollos, you know, Apollos was eloquent of speech, but that is gifting that God has given him. Paul is saying it's all received. The things that you are using to base your pride on are not things that you mustered up. They're gifts of God. So you see how ridiculous that is? If you then received it, he goes on to say, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I mean, if, if Bill Gates handed me a million dollars and I were just to go around boasting as though I had worked hard for it for 30 years, that would be pretty foolish. And if God gives gifts to the church, which He does, and by the way, one of them is apostles. So why would you, why would you take these gifts like Apollos and Peter and Paul and set them against each other and, and, and set yourselves up in some kind of prideful attitude based upon something God has given you for your good. It's not even something that you achieved or that you mustered up or that you created. It's a gift intended for your good. And not only for your good, but for the good of all of those in the church. So the gifts are given for edification, for the building up of the body. And, you're, and you're, you're using them to tear the body down. In reality, Paul is saying, if we kind of come down to earth here, bring the Corinthians down to earth here, <laughs> and, and get their focus back right, there's... there's there's nothing to boast about. You have nothing in and of yourself to boast about. I have nothing in and of myself to boast about. We're all, we all belong to God. We're all part of the church. We're God's field. We're God's building. We're God's servants. We're God's household managers. We're not the creators. We're not the owners. We're not the bosses, so to speak. So we have nothing to boast of in and of 
ourselves. And the issue is not giftedness. Who, who appears better in the eyes of the world? Who's a better speaker? Who's more skilled? No, the issue, Paul says, is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God's truth. So he says, you have nothing to boast about. You have no reason to set yourselves against yourselves. What you do have is the gift of God for the good of all of you. And you need to be concerned with the faithful stewardship of that. Just two things for application and we're done. Um, One I already mentioned. I think what Paul says here concerning himself and his own ministry is applicable to all um, preachers, teachers, um, in, in every setting. Uh, he's speaking specifically about himself. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there are implications here for everybody who teaches the Word of God. Uh, we must be faithful with what God has put in our trust. Faithfulness is, is the issue. Not, not, uh, not how good of a speaker I am or something like that. Um, faithfulness. That's, that's where sin comes in. <laughs> you know, I, I like to hear... One, one reason I like to listen... You know, I'm just being honest here. Um, one reason I like to listen to guys, for example, like, like John Piper, he's, he's a good speaker. But, I, but I, and honest, honestly, the, the main thing I like about him, say the same thing about John MacArthur, uh, I could name others, there are plenty of others, but the main thing I like about them, and this, this applies also to local guys as well, the main thing I like about them is when they stay faithful to the text. That's, that's the biggest issue. A guy could be a great speaker, and if he's leading me astray, then what good is it going to do to follow his teaching, right? It's, it's, it's not a... a I, I, you do like to listen to guys that are skilled, like Apollos. But it's not a sin to be boring. It's a sin to be wrong. I mean, if you mishandle God's Word, that's sin. It's not a sin to be born. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, um, by his own testimony, he came to Christ under the preaching of what he called a stupid preacher. <laughs> stupid in the literal sense. I mean, in other words, the guy wasn't well-schooled. He wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't, um, you know, educated and eloquent and all that. But what he did do was tell the truth. <laughs> Spurgeon's heart was pierced. And he came to Christ by God's grace. And the second thing is this, and this is for all, all Christians, because we, in, in one sense, we have, we all have that same responsibility. We are to be good stewards with God's truth. Specifically, what we're talking about is the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen, every person on the face of the earth. Born since Adam and Eve, since the fall, came into this world in sin. There's only one exception to that, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only exception. Everybody else has been born a sinner. 
What does that mean? It means we're, we're born rebels. We're in rebellion against God. Alienated from God. You came into this world alienated from God, separated from God, from the benefits of knowing Him, the joy of His fellowship. And that's even putting it a little bit mildly because the truth is we were at war with Him by nature. So our mindset was not only that we, you know, we didn't, we didn't know God in truth, you know, have fellowship with Him, but it was also that we're not subject to the laws of God and could not be because of our own sinfulness. So we come into this world, every, every person that's ever lived since Adam and Eve, with the exception of Jesus Christ, has been at war with God. That doesn't mean they know it. Or they understand it, and you might say, well, I know some good people. In fact, I was a pretty good guy myself. You were at war with God. I was at war with God. And the remedy for that, summed up in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whoever believes on Him might have everlasting life. In other words, we, we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's just a short summation. There's a whole lot more to say about that. But Paul is saying we cannot veer from that. He's telling the Corinthians what you should look for in leadership, what you should look for in a household manager, in a servant, in a table waiter, deacon, you know, the, the, the analogies he's using. What you should look for is faithfulness. When somebody is teaching, what you should look for is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God's truth, the gospel, the word of the cross. There's only one way of salvation, deliverance from sin and eternal life, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Putting your trust in what Christ has done. Putting your trust in the person of Christ and what He has done at Calvary, bearing our sins, conquering sin and death. That's the issue, Paul is saying. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Some, some say it, some articulate it better than others. That's just the way it is. Different people have different gifting. But that's not the main issue. The main issue is are they getting it right? Are they faithful to the gospel? Would you stand, please? And just a reminder, please continue to pray for, and I know you will, Jackie, and, and uh, find out something on her as soon as we can, and then uh, also for Miss Carolyn. Let's, uh, let's pray. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.